which came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, that's an age-old question. And, the, and the, what, what frames that question is there's a symbiotic relationship between the chicken and the egg. But the question that we're asking is which one is causal? How did the egg get here without the chicken laying it? And how did the chicken get here without being hatched by an egg? So that is the question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? By the way, if it's keeping you up late at night, God came first. He made a chicken, chicken laid the egg. That'll help you. You can go to sleep tonight. <laughs> but that question, what came first, which came first, the chicken or the egg, is, is given us a whole nomenclature for our kind of questions. We call them chicken or egg questions. In other words, two entities are in a close relationship where they may be inter interdependent, but it's a challenge for us to figure out which came first. And so even though we're not concerned about the chicken or the egg, there are a lot of things in life that are chicken or egg questions. We want to know which is the one that's causal, which is the one that comes first. Because if it's something that's important to us, we're going to know what to pursue in order to get what comes first. I bring that up tonight because we're talking about happiness. And happiness usually is very close to success. They're in the same zip code most of the time. And they appear to be connected. So we could talk about happiness and success, and we could ask the question, well, which comes first? Does happiness come first or does success come first? We do associate them together. Usually it's happiness and success or failure and sadness. So success, wherever success may be for you or whatever you define it as, whether it's acquiring things in life or achieving goals or accumulating stuff, Here's what you and I have been taught all of our life. We have been taught that success comes first and then happiness. In fact, it is part of our culture to teach us that success brings happiness. You ever look at one of those high-end catalogs? Sometimes when I'm on an airplane or something or I'm looking, you know, in, 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 in the, you know where the haircutter is cutting my hair, there's magazines out there. And so you see these, these high-end catalogs. You ever get a look at the expression on the woman's face who's wearing the Prada? Do you ever get a look at the man's expression who's, you know, leaning up against the Bentley with his, you know, Rolex-clad arm? Do you ever look at their faces? I mean, isn't it true? It's satisfaction. And if you look at them, I mean, they're showing you that if you could wear designer clothes, you'd be happy. If you could drive, you know, a $200,000 automobile, you would be happy. If you could fly in your own private jet, you would be happy. Success comes first, and then you can be happy. You know, you can just almost see it on their faces. I made it, now I get to wear this. I made it, now I get to drive this. I made it, I get to go on this vacation. Well, the only problem with that is, if success brings happiness, what I want to know when I look around America today is where's our happiness? I mean, if, if, if arriving in life and meeting challenges and reaching goals and getting things, if that makes you happy, then, then, then where's our happiness? If it's about making numbers, we should be happy. If it's about swinging deals or winning cases or reaching goals or gaining citations or new titles or perks or increased incomes, if those are the things that make us happy, you and I as Americans ought to be the happiest people in the world because I know one thing about every person here, and that is that you've achieved some milestone, you've achieved some measure of success. And if that's the case with every success, every time we do something, every time we get some accolade, every time we gain an increase in pay, or get some recognition, there ought to be a click, shouldn't there? Shouldn't we feel that click? Happiness, click. Success, click. Happiness, we ought to feel it. I don't know about you, I, I don't feel that click. And I don't think most of us do. Deion Sanders, who was, um, you played for, I think, five different teams in the NFL, was a very successful player. For those of you who might not be football fans, 
There was a moment in time in the, in the mid-90s where Deion Sanders, I would say, record, rec, represented the balance of power in the NFL. He went to the 49ers, they won the Super Bowl. He went to the Cowboys, the next year the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. After winning the Super Bowl with the Cowboys, here's what he said. I remember, I'm quoting, I remember winning the Super Bowl that year, and that night after the game, I was the first one out of the locker room, the first one to the press conference, and the first one to go home. I just went home and went to bed. His wife said, Dion, don't you have a party to go to? He said, nah, and turned over and went to sleep. What was he trying to say? That click that he expected after winning the Super Bowl wasn't there. The problem, and I can't speak for you, but I can certainly speak for myself in this regard. The problem with the idea of success bringing happiness is when we succeed, the goal line gets pushed further back. When we get one milestone, when we get one achievement, then it just gets tougher to score a touchdown. And we keep running in the hopes that maybe the next success will be the one. Or worse yet, here's what can happen to us. We just give up and we begin to define success as happiness. In other words, when we reach success, we say that is happiness. We tag our successes as happiness. The only problem is when we do that, we know we're lying to ourselves. Well, our series is Run, Forest, Run, and it's Six Secrets to Living Happy. And last weekend, we said that <clears throat> if, if people are unhappy today, generally it's because they're either running from something or running to something. And the books that I've been reading for the series, in, in addition to the scripture, I came across a book that I've liked a whole lot. It's a book called The Happiness Advantage. It's written by a Harvard teacher or a Harvard instructor by the name of Sean Aker. And in his groundbreaking book, he asked the question, is it possible that we've got it backward? And citing layers of research that I'll never be able to perform, he maintains that the statistics show that it's not that the successful tend to be happy. It is that the happy tend to be successful. One more time, let me give that to you. It is not that the successful tend to be happy. It is that the happy tend to be successful. And, of course, he goes into the scientific aspects, and he says that when you're happy, your brain releases dopamine, which not only induces a feeling of pleasure, but it also turns on all the brain's learning receptors so that we're more creative, we're better at problem-solving, we're more productive. After all, when you're working and you're, you're loving what you're doing, isn't it true that time flies? So he's saying, yeah, there's a chemical reason for it. Several years ago, Sean Aker and a fellow professor opened up a class at Harvard. And they didn't know if anybody was going to be interested or not. After all, that's a very sophisticated place of learning. They opened up a class at Harvard about how to be happy. They were blown away by the fact it became one of the largest classes on campus. Imagine that. American college students at, an, at, at the premier Ivy League university studying all the deep stuff in life. And a class has opened up about how to be happy. 1,200 students sign up. And his TED lectures, one of the most watched of all the series of lectures. And there are people, especially in the corporate world, who think that he's onto something. He is onto something, but guys, let me tell you, it's not new. It isn't new. 3,000 years ago, Solomon wrote, A merry heart does good like a medicine. Now, here's the thing the problem with a lot of us who grew up in church. For those of us who did grow up in church, is a lot of times we read these verses too fast and we don't think about exactly what they're saying. We read that like a merry heart is good. That's not what the verse said. It said a merry heart does good. In other words, a merry heart, a happy heart produces something. 
Dr. Aker is saying that if you are happy, it may produce success. It's not that being successful will make you happy. It is being the person that God wants you to be and having a happy heart will help you become a success in life. Well, I've shared with you last week that my favorite book in the Bible about how to think is a book of the New Testament called Philippians. I, I, I call it my antidepressant. And I read the four chapters of Philippians over and over and again. Because here's the great secret to the book of Philippians. It will teach you how to think happy. And so in all these six messages, I'm going to bring you talks from the book of Philippians. Now, today, we're going to learn, we're going to open up Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bible or if you're looking on your iPad or on your app or whatever, if you, if you want to look with me, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to tell you, today, I believe we learned one of the biggest keys to being happy. If you want to know how to be happy, tonight is well worth the time that you're going to invest in this service. Now, here's the thing. Let me back up to just a moment to where we started. If you and I buy into the idea that success brings happiness, you and I are guaranteed one thing, and that's stress. In other words, if, if I can't be happy until I've been successful, I'm assured of the fact that I'm going to have to deal with success, deal with stress, because... The thing is, I want to be happy, but I don't know where that goal line is, and i got to keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing, so I'm going to deal with stress. Now, what happens to me when I deal with stress? I don't know about you, and I can't speak for you, but I'm, I've read enough and I've listened to enough people through the years to guess this is a lot of people's experience. When we get under stress, the first thing to go is relationships. We tend to divest ourselves of relationships instead of investing ourselves in relationships. Because we're saying, I'm so busy, I don't have time to spend time with my family. I don't have time to spend time with my friends. I'm under the gun. i got to make it happen. If I'm not a success, I can't be happy. And if I don't press, I can't be a success. And so the irony is, we're under stress. We're pressed to produce. The first thing we let go of is one of our key sources of happiness, which is relationships. And, and what happens is we press harder and we get worse. I had a very, very dear friend at New Spring who had a serious but treatable illness. And he was treated with the common drug for this particular illness. The only problem was the doctors were not aware of the fact that he had an awful a reaction or allergy, or he, he had a, a you know, he, he could not tolerate that particular medication. And it didn't seem to be working. So, what did they do? They increased the dose. And my friend eventually lost his life as a result of that. See, I, I think that there's some of us here today, we're pressing, we want to be happy, and we've been, we've been taught all our lives the only way to be happy is to succeed. And so, in order to succeed, we turn loose of the relationships that really have the opportunity to bring happiness. And what happens is we're unhappier, so we press harder, turn loose some more relationships, and we just keep working harder and getting worse and further and further away from our goal. I try not to share too many personal things with you, and yet, on the other hand, I want you to know that I've lived through a lot of the things that I'm talking about. I remember when I was at my worst about two and a half years ago, and I wound up talking to a counselor, a Christian counselor who specialized in, in talking to ministers who were dealing with burnout. And so I was just telling him, I feel like a failure. And I was going through this litany. And the hardest thing for me was I felt like a failure. And everybody I was counseling with wanted to tell me what a huge success I was. 
And I, every time they would tell me what a great success I was, I would say, no, but I fail here, I fail here, I fail here. And all of a sudden, the counselor who was talking to me looked at me and he said, Mark, let me ask you a question. He said, who in your life really gets in? Who in your life is really close to you? How do you think I reacted to him? Do you have any idea what my world is like? Do you have any idea how busy I am? See, I think that is the American dream. We have been told that if we want to be happy, we got to be successful. We want to success. we got to lean forward. we got to make it happen. And the problem is we're making it happen, but in the process we're jettisoning key relationships in our life that have the ability to help us be happy. And like my friend, we're getting worse and worse. What if we've had it wrong all the time? And instead of successful being happy, happy people are truly successful. If that's the case, you ready for this? Because here's the, here's the punchline. One more time. If it's not that success brings happiness, if happiness brings success, then we now must redefine the pursuit of happiness. Because we thought the pursuit of happiness was success. If that's down the road, then the pursuit of happiness must involve something besides success. What is then the pursuit of happiness? Tonight, I want to do my best to talk to you and to me. Most of all, I want to let the Holy Spirit talk to us from God's Word to teach us that the key to life is not in divesting yourself from people and relationships, but of investing yourself in people and relationships. What if one of the main secrets of happiness, therefore success, is investing in people? Well, if it is, you know where that's going to take us? Not to Harvard University. It's going to take us right into the book of Philippians. Because right now we're going to go into the key section of how to think in the book of Philippians. And what we're going to discover is God had it thousands of years ago. That it's not success that brings happiness. It's happy people that have success. And here is how people are happy. I want to read the whole section to you, and then we'll break it apart. Here we go. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to or, or literally to be grasped or to be reached after. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor. Now, if we read that too fast for you to grasp a lot of that, that's okay, because we're going to slow down in just a moment, and we're going to see what God has to say. But here's the main four things that God teaches us if we want to be happy. Look at this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress other people. Number three, be humble, seeing others is better than you. And number four, don't only look out for your own interests. Look out for the interests of other people. Now, do you know what? I'm not going to... React for you, but do you know what strikes me about all this? All four of those are counterintuitive. And unscrew the halos and don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Those are all counterintuitive to us. One more time don't be selfish, don't try to impress people, don't uh, be humble, seeing others is better than yourselves, and don't only look on your own interests, but look on the interests of other people as well. 
Because here's the thing. I'm wired to be selfish. I mean, I may be good and kind to others, but I am wired to be selfish. I am wired to try to impress people. I mean, that's why we, I mean, that's why we're, when they advertise automobiles to us and clothes and jewelry and things, how many things are advertised to us by you'll be a cool looking person if you have this? We're wired to impress people. I'm wired to at least want to see myself better. I'm wired to focus on my own interests. Those things are intuitive because I believe I need them to be successful. I mean, how many times have we heard people say things like this? If I don't look out for myself, who will? It's dog eat dog out there. So don't tell me not to be selfish. I have to be selfish in order to be a success. And I need to impress people. If I don't impress people, how will I gain entree into the places that matter? I need to feel that I'm better than others because if I don't feel that I'm better than others, why would I have a right to the better things in life? I'm wired to make everything a referendum on me. I only have enough time for my own stuff. And I say to myself, how am I going to have time for other people's stuff? You know, let them take care of their own things. I need to take care of my world. If success brings happiness, we can sum it up this way. We have to carve out our position in the world, demand our position, or we'll get run over. And yet, in the face of all that, God says to me, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress people. Be humble, seeing other people as better than you are. And don't just think about your own things. Think about the concerns of other people as well. Well, let's, I mean, it could be that I've talked to you and you're just kind of like internally pulling back a little bit. Okay, you're saying I can't look at my own interests and I got to think as other people as, of other people as being better than I am. And, and I have to like not just think about my interests but other people's interests as, as well. Even if that doesn't sound attractive to you. Let me just ask you this question. I mean, think for a moment. Don't you like people like that? I mean, don't you like people? I mean, is, is it true that if you think about the people that are selfish, do you like people who are selfish? Do you like people who try to impress people? You know, would you hire them? Would you promote them? Do you want to work with those kind of people? And yet on the other hand, my guess is if you'll think about the truly successful people you know, most of the time, they're not selfish people. They're not trying to impress anybody. They don't think they're better than the other people around them. And the truly successful people I know are people that are interested in other people's concerns as well as their own. You know, usually, go back to this, if you will, for a moment. A person who is selfish tries to impress people. A person who thinks he's better than other people. A person who only looks out for his own stuff. We have a word for that guy. Usually we call him a jerk. And that person may have a day in the sun but they will not have a protracted season of success. So here's what the Bible has to say to us. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to or to be grasped for. Now let me read that one more time. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. He was God, but he didn't reach out and grasp for the things that should belong to God. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus know who he was? When Jesus came to earth, did he know that he was God? And yet when he came to earth, he didn't say, why do I have to walk? Or where's my condo on the beach? Or where's my staff? Or where's my sushi? Or I like the Bahamas better than Galilee. I mean, when Jesus came into our world, he knew he was God, but he didn't grasp for the things that belonged to God. And here's the big one, church. He was so comfortable in his own skin 
He knew who he was. He didn't have to impress anybody. And the Bible says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. There's a story, as I get ready to close tonight, there's a story in the life of Jesus. And you read about this, I believe, in John chapter 13. Jesus and his disciples had met in the upper room where they were going to share the Passover meal. And back in those days, everybody walked. I mean, nobody rode, and so clearly these guys, were they had dirty feet. And back in those days, before you had a meal, it was the job of somebody to wash everybody's feet. And if it was a house where there were servants, it fell the responsibility of the lowest servant of the house. So if you went to somebody's house for dinner and a servant came out to wash your feet, you just found out who the lowest person was in the servant ranking. But if you didn't have any servants in the room, the least important person there would have the responsibility of washing feet. So if you were a group of people, whoever was usually the youngest or the least important there would have the job of washing feet. Now, here's why it was important. When you look at some of those old paintings of Jesus having the Last Supper with his disciples, they're sitting at a table. Well, that's very European and very middle, you know, it's very Renaissance. But the fact of the matter is that in Jesus' day, people did not eat at a table. They ate pretty much on the floor in semi-lying, reclining positions. They would lie on mats, you know, with their head and their elbow, and they'd be stretched out. So if you're in a room full of guys, and, and you're eating, and, you know, you're in semi-reclining positions, somebody's feet are going to be pretty close to your face. It's very important that the feet get washed. So Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room. Now, here's the thing. Wouldn't you agree with me? Somebody ought to jump up real fast and wash Jesus' feet. Wouldn't you agree with that? Peter, John, Jude, Bartholomew, somebody should have gotten up and washed Jesus. But nobody even offered to wash Jesus' feet. Because here's the deal. Nobody is going to admit in that room that he's the least important person there. They're all waiting. It is a staring contest to see who's going to wash the feet. Now, I want to take you to the scripture that reads what happens or shows us what happens, but I want you to see what it has to say about Jesus before he does what he does. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Did you read that? One more time, read that again. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power. He knew who he was. Not only did he know he was God, he knew that everything belonged to him, that all things were under his power. Full well knowing what he was and who he was, he stooped down, took a towel and a basin of water, and washed the disciples' feet. The Bible says he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. We live in a culture today in which you and I are taught that if we want to be happy, we got to be successful first. In order to be successful, we got to drive and push. And some of us have been taught in some cultures, some work cultures, that you have to push everybody out of the way to get ahead. And yet the truth of the whole thing is 
It's not success that brings happiness. It's happiness that brings success. And one of the keys to happiness is if you want to be happy, you need to invest in the lives of others. You need to remember that other people are important and invest in their lives. And what you'll discover is that not only will you be a blessing to others, but God will be a blessing to you through them. And on top of that, you have a God who elevates and raises us to places of success when we are willing to invest in the lives of others. And my prayer is that you and I will think about this tonight. I want to start with this. You and I need to walk out of here and say, I know who I am. If I know who I am, I don't have to impress anybody. If I know who I am, I don't have to force my, I don't have to force my rights. If I know who I am, then I am comfortable in my own skin. And if I know who I am, number two, how can I serve you? How can I invest in your life? And then to be able to say, it's okay, I can invest in other people's lives because I can afford to. I am on my way. God is bringing me to a place of success, and I'm willing to invest in the lives of others. May God bless you tonight. I pray that God will use this talk tonight to open up whole new avenues and vistas. For some of us who are here, and we're pressing to the extent that we're losing key relationships in our lives, we need to go back and rebuild those relationships and invest in people. Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the fact that you've given us eternal life, that Jesus was willing to die in our place that we might have that eternal life. And we ask that you would help us, Father, because so many of us are stressed and pressing hard to be successful in life. And in the process, we've ran out of time for the people around us. God, I pray that you would help us to rethink that tonight and to see the importance of, of loving you to the extent that we would put others ahead of ourselves. I pray that you will help us with this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you pray with me one more moment, please? Before we leave tonight, we need to take a moment to realize what Jesus has done for us. The Bible tells us that he loved us so much that he humbled himself and he died on the cross. The same heart that knelt down and washed those dirty disciples' feet was the same heart that a few days later would lay on a cross and die for our sins. And so tonight, I want to ask you this. Have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? Was there ever a time in your life where you invited him to be your Savior and Lord? And if there hasn't been, I want to tell you this. The Bible tells us that Jesus died for your sins on the cross. And then three days later, he arose from the grave. And if anyone is willing to place his or her trust in Christ, they can be forgiven of sins and have an everlasting relationship with him. And if you've never done that, I'm going to ask you to pray with me for just a moment. And these are not magic words, but if you want to invite Jesus Christ into your life, you can reach out to him by faith, and he will hear your prayer. Pray with me, please. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me, I've got a gift I want to give you. It's a packet. It's got a DVD and also a little book in it as well that answers a lot of questions about how to know for sure that you're going to heaven. If you just prayed to receive Christ, please come back and get one of these. You can get it back at guest services. There's one in the main lobby and one in the back lobby by the coffee shop as well. And guys, one more thing before you leave. 
We have a watermark coming up, which is an opportunity to go public with your faith in believer's baptism. Many of us have given our lives to Christ, we've accepted Christ, but we've never taken the step of going public with our faith. And in baptism, a person is placed beneath the water, showing the death and burial and resurrection, and then brought up to show the resurrection of Christ. Tomorrow night is the last night to sign up before this current watermark that's coming up. So if you haven't signed up for that yet, you might want to give some thought to that. You can get on our website and sign up for Watermark as well. Thank you very much. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.